Well, as I have been told, the habit is you stand as we read God's Word. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, be turning those open to Ephesians chapter 4. We will be continuing right along. I'm going to read some of the context. And if you are willing and able, please stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 1 for context and go through verse 6. Hear God's Word. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Maybe seated. Well, many of you ladies may not be aware of this, unless you have husbands that like sports, but many of you men may be very aware that just a week ago, there was a ball game, a basketball game. Game seven of the NBA Finals happened, and if you're a Cleveland Cavalier fan, you're very happy. If you're a Stephen Curry fan, you're not. But the Cleveland Cavaliers, the NBA basketball team out of, obviously, Cleveland, Ohio, was in the finals, and they won, considerable underdog as they were. And I thought it was quite fitting to reference the Cavaliers because they had a very unified team at the end. They came together for a common goal. They, they seemed to be up against an insurmountable opponent in the Golden State Warriors. The Splash Brothers are a couple of the really good players on that team, and they could just shoot the ball basically from anywhere and seemingly hit it. But they came together, and they found a way together to overcome. But it wasn't always so easy because they had a very different team in many different ways. The individuals that came together on that team came from all sorts of backgrounds. Some of them were white, and some of them were black, and so their ethnicities were different. Some of them came from, from good homes growing up. Some of them came from broken homes. Others had affluence. Well, some of them literally grew up in the projects and overcame incredible, insurmountable odds to get to where they are today. Yet what brought them together was a common hope. The hope of winning an NBA championship is fleeting as that may seem on a Sunday morning. Well, even though they came together that shows strongly, it wasn't always the case they were divided, if you followed them during the year, often. Whether it was egos, or playing time, or lots of different things off the basketball court, off the court issues. They were divided often, and it affected their unity and, and their ability to be as effective as a team. And so they had to be urged to lay aside their differences and to strive together for a common hope. Well, this morning in our text... In Ephesians chapter 4, we find ourselves in a very similar place. Just last week, Eric told you of the passage where Paul is urging the church, the local body, you, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, that there is a common hope that you have as well. But because he was urging them to maintain the unity of the Spirit, if, you have to, if you're a parent and you have to urge your kids to do something, that probably means that it's not easy for them to do it. It probably means that they may not even be doing that very thing that you are urging them or maybe pleading with them to do. Well, so too, it 
probably was for the Ephesians, and so too it probably is often for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit, to be one, to be united in a divided world, which is our title for this morning. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? You see, being divided is is actually quite easy. I would say that being divided, for me, is my default. Division happens so easily and so quickly amongst individuals because if we're honest, in many ways, we're we're all very different. Isn't it so interesting that God, as creative as he is, has found a way to make each and every single one of you unique and different? And our upbringings, from our different parents to our different influences or affluence or poverty or whatever it may be, we're, we're very different. And these different experiences can often cause friction in our relationships with others and cause us to not be united, but divided. I was trying to think of a few different things in my life that can often cause division. Of course, I have the most division with my wife, unfortunately, because she's there, and so I sin against her more than anybody. Miscommunication is a common one for us. Has anyone ever tried to be sarcastic in a text message? It's impossible. Uh, well, Well, it's possible. You may be better at it than I am, but every time I do it, it just does not go well. Miscommunication, it can cause division. Or maybe someone calls you and you see it, but you're in a meeting, and so you shady-button them. And you, you have every good intention to get back to them, but then, of course, the day takes over and you forget. And Next time you see that person, they're maybe not as kind, they're maybe not as excited. Why didn't you call me back, bud? Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry about that. It's, it's hard in these moments of mis- when communication breaks down, for instance, to be love, loving, or to be gentle. Maybe the way we communicate isn't very loving, and I'm more of a truth person, less of a grace person. (laughs) Some of you may be more of a grace person and less of a truth person, and this can cause breakdowns, but we're called to truth and grace. Some of the fruits that we were looking at the week before, right, was to be loving and gentle. It's hard sometimes, because I'm not loving and I'm not gentle by default. Or here's, here's one. How many of you, I'm confessing, road rage? Road rage. Here's a story. Just a, a few weeks ago, I was on my way to church. Denise was with me, and um, she can attest to this. It's completely true. And as we were there, I, w- I was stuck behind a Sunday morning driver. Any Sunday morning drivers here? God bless you. Thankful for you. You helped me drive the speed limit. It's great. But I was stuck behind one, and you know, I was probably wanting to go faster than I should have, and that's, that's my fault and my sin. But I was trying to get around, trying to get around. wasn't happening. just wasn't, wasn't my day. And, and finally, the Sunday morning driver is about to turn, and the moment the Sunday morning driver turns, and I'm about to speed up, and you know, I just feel my heart feeling vindicated, feeling right. And another car pulls out right in front of me and just cuts, cuts in there a little tight. Probably shouldn't have done that. And everything in me, in my rage... My just righteous rage, right? It's right. They're wrong, I'm right. They're going too slow. I sh- everyone should be going as fast as I'm going. I wanted to just not hit the brakes as fast as I probably should have. You know, just let my car get up a little bit closer. Let them know that I know what they did was wrong. Make sure they know. But I'm really glad I didn't. And here, know this. Picture of the sovereignty of God. Because that car then turned into my church parking lot. That morning. Road rage. Dangerous. It was a lack of patience. One of the things, one of the fruits just last week that Eric was talking about. Being patient. Impatience. 
can cause division so easily in a moment. And just in that moment, it would have been so easy for me to break fellowship with someone and actually cause tension between my wife and I because she's a good wife and let me know of my sin. Well, whatever it may be for you, there are many things that can cause division. Perhaps it was the championship game on Sunday. Husbands, maybe some of you were wanting to watch the games and you were just thinking, I wish my wife would know. I just wanted to relax and watch the game. It's not that I don't want to be intentional or love her. Wives, maybe some of you are thinking, I wish my, wa- my husband would know that it's not that I don't want to interrupt his game, but just that he would be intentional with me and love me more than the TV. The week's about to get started. It's our last chance to spend some time together. And in that moment, it's, it's so hard to bear together in love, isn't it? It's tough. Why? Because being divided is my default. And if you have a sinful flesh, which you do, being divided is your default too. And I know these are small and and petty seemingly, and there's so many of them. There's so many small little things that can seem to cause division between us and, and, and make it hard for us to be united. But I know that there are big things as well. Many of you are probably thinking of those big things. So whether it may be race or gender or some of the sexual orientation things that we are dealing with in our culture today, there are big, deep scars and wounds and things that cause division. The size of the Grand Canyon, it seems, to be insurmountable. I want to be very sensitive and aware of those. But just as there are so many different things that can cause division for us, Brothers, sisters, I want to tell you that there is one thing, there is one thing that can overcome them all. It just has to be powerful enough, and it can unite us, help us to be united in a divided world. Well, here in our passage this morning, Paul is reminding the church of that very thing. He's telling them of some ways that bring them together, that they have much more in common than they could ever possibly imagine. So here we see seven theological truths. If you're following along on your outline, there are seven theological truths that he is rolling through here to help them know that you have much more in common than you could ever possibly imagine, brothers and sisters in Christ. So much more. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, in all. First, he says there is one spirit. There is one spirit. The spirit, of course, is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. We are all, or I'm sorry, one body. We are all members of this body through the Spirit of God. When we receive the Holy Spirit, when we place faith and trust in Christ and God gives us his spirit, we become members of this body of Christ. I think of how Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says we are all members of one body, but many members. I like to think of myself as the pinky toe. Uh, personally, because my pinky toes are a little crooked. Uh, that's a genetic thing. It's not because I'm weird. But the pinky toe is actually quite essential if you think of it. If I don't have my pinky toe, I don't have near as good balance. I can't run as fast as I can run. If one of my toes, say my pinky toe is sore on my right foot, I'm going to lean more on my left foot. I feel that pain as well. And so too, in the body of Christ, when, when someone else hurts, we hurt too. We bear that load with them. 
We are empathetic with them because we care for them, because we love them, because they are a part of us. You see, we're no longer individuals, but rather an aggregate of a greater whole. We're one with each other. Some the mouth, some the eyes, whatever you may be, you have meaning, you have purpose. You are united to each and every other single person in the body of Christ. Together, not apart. So we rejoice when others rejoice in the body, and we mourn when they mourn. And of course, we enter into this through the Spirit. There's one Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit of God, like I mentioned just before. The Spirit being, what a mystery, the very nature and essence of God. Who He is in His very being, if you are a believer, dwells in you. Think of that, friends. God Himself inside of you. In the Old Testament, God would have his presence with his people in the tabernacles and the temples. Today, after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, he dwells in you. He tabernacles in you. That is his presence with his people. You. It does not get any closer than that. Think of the power that is available to the believer. In Romans chapter 8, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Resurrection power. Eric told me he's been telling you about that Greek word dunamai, that outside of Christ, outside of the spirit, we dunamai, we lack the power, we lack the ability. There's nothing that we can do that is pleasing to God in our sinful flesh, in our sinful nature. Even if I wanted to do something good, I cannot do it. But then when we receive the Spirit of God, when we place faith and trust in Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to conquer sin and death for all eternity, that kind of power, it's in you. It's in me. That's unity. It's different than anything else that compared to all the world. It's power. And that power, it it changes us. It changes our motives, our desires. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. I'll remove from you a heart of stone. I'll place within you a heart of flesh. And I'll give you my spirit. Cause you to be careful to walk in my statutes, to obey my rules. When we receive the very character and nature of God, we begin to become the very character and nature of God. Day by day, from one degree of glory to another. As we behold him and become more like him. The spirit, it's, it's not only great power but it's, it's also great assurance. Through the Spirit of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we all have a common assurance for our salvation, for our eternity. That no one else in all the world, no other faith, no other religion, no other person can have that kind of assurance that you have. Because your faith no longer rests in you or what you can do or your gifts or your abilities. And we're all very aware of our flaws and our failures. No, our faith rests in our God. Through the Spirit, we have that common assurance. John MacArthur on this says, he, the spirit, is the divine engagement ring, a pledge, as it were, who guarantees that every believer will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise God. What a hope. One hope. The next. We are called to one hope. The Holy Spirit sets our eyes on this hope. The Holy Spirit assures us of this hope, and we all share in it. 
And the hope is what? Well, you saw it just a few weeks before in Ephesians 1, chapter, verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That is the hope, is it not? The hope is the same as, as Paul in, in Romans chapter 7, who says, wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are found right, we are found holy, we are found justified before a holy and righteous God. To err is human, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need this hope to be found right before God. And that is the hope that we share. We shall be like him one day, for we shall see him as he is. There's no other religion, no other faith that offers this. Some may try to achieve the pillars of faith. Others may build up their self-righteousness to try to have their good outweigh their bad. This morning we heard from the missionary family, the Hannah family in Thailand, to just purge yourself of, of anything that can hurt you, whether it's emotion or humanity. Purge it all so that you just don't, you don't have to feel pain anymore. You don't have to feel the consequences of your sin. But we cannot escape our sin. We need a Savior. That is the one hope that we have in the person and work of Christ. We have that in common. So we have the same spirit. We have, we're all a part of the same body. We have one hope. We see the Spirit of God here in verse 4. Within this, real quickly, as we're working through verse 4, 5, and 6, I believe we see the Trinity of God. So within the very lines of Paul helping us see everything that we have in common, the very lines that Paul is trying to encourage us to be one, he's giving us a picture of the one who is one. When he's trying to encourage us to maintain the unity of the Spirit, he's helping us see he who always has been united. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see the Spirit in verse 4. We see Christ, the Son, here in verse 5. And of course, God the Father in verse 6. So in verse 5, we have one Lord. This Lord, of course, is Jesus Christ. Christ is our Lord. He is the author and perfecter of my faith. And so he is now the author and ruler of my life. And not only must he be Lord, but I, I want him to be Lord. He's a good Lord. I had a dear friend in college shortly after I came to Christ, and then, of course, it's after that that you begin to deal and wrestle with all the lordship decisions of actually becoming a Christian, of him saying, Caleb, it was after I came to Christ, it was after God broke into my heart and saved me that I realized that I want Jesus to be Lord because I was doing a terrible job of being God over my own life. I was destroying it left to myself. I'm sure many of you have found the same to be true. He's a good Lord. He's a good God. He knows everything. He knows what I need and what I want far better than I do. We have a common Lord. The same person that is an authority over my life is the same person and authority over your life. If you're a brother or sister in Christ. The same person that I will answer to and bend a knee one day. The same person for you. And the same person that I sit in awe of Every morning as I read God's word is the same person that you too are in awe of. We have one Lord. We have one Lord and we have one faith. This faith, of course, is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is in Christ that our faith is directed to. The same 
thing, the same person, actually, that I am banking my eternity on is the same person you're banking your eternity on. Many of us place our faith, place our hope, place our trust in lots of different things. In an election year, it's easy to think uh, about different things that we may place our faith in. Political parties can even become sources of division. Election years can be tough because, they, you know, they say there's a few things you're never supposed to talk about. Politics, religion, and, and money, all of which probably happen right here. It's dangerous. Or at your family dinner table. But we're not called to place our, our faith in, in political parties. Our eternity rests in the same thing as brothers and sisters in Christ. So whether for po- politics you may hope and Democratic Party or the Republican Party, me personally, I may write in just Eric Coer. I feel like that would be someone I could get excited about. There is someone I could see in office, someone I can trust. But for our eternity, we, we're all trusting our eternity in one person. And of course, this faith, this is huge. The content of my face, faith must completely come from the content of God's word. There are many churches this morning that unfortunately are hearing very wise and persuasive sermons without an ounce of truth of God's word in them. This must be the content of your faith, brothers and sisters. This, the Jesus of the Bible, our true creator, our true savior, he is the content of my faith. Warren Wearsby said this, unity built on anything other than Bible truth is standing on very shaky ground. We not only have one faith, we have one baptism. I believe this baptism to be water baptism, the act of obedience of identifying ourselves with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I will not like, there's good men on both sides of this that think it could be water baptism or it could be the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit. Either of those could be good, take the meat, spit out the bones, whatever it may be. But here's what we know it is not. There's no place here for baptismal regeneration. There is no receiving of grace here. That's not what is being communicated within these lines. It's identifying, I believe, with the person and work of Christ. As I'm baptized into the water, I am identifying with his death. If I were to remain in that water, I would die. God used water with Noah and the ark to cleanse the earth. And as an act of his wrath, and as I'm raised up out of the water in new life, identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm saying that I am one with him. We all share that. What a great common thing to share with one another that bonds us. We have one faith, one baptism. And of course, lastly, one God and Father of all. One God and Father of all. Who is, he's over all, he's through all, he's in all. This God makes me think of sweet Ruth. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. The same God that you serve is the God that I serve. The same God that you worship is the God that I worship. The character of your God and the way he relates and treats to you is the same character of my God. What a thing to have in common to make us one. We have the same father, spiritual father. All of us once. One of the greatest things that you have in common with everyone on the face of the planet, you're a sinner. And we were spiritual orphans. Far off from the father. But he has brought us near. He has loved us. He's provided for us. And now we've all been adopted into the same family. There's a sweet family at Faith Bible, the church that Denise and I are members and serve at, that 
wanted to adopt. They ended up adopting their children before they had any natural-born children. And they were so glad that this happened because they wanted their adopted children to know that they were just as loved as their natural-born children. How cool. Have you considered, brother and sister, that though Jesus is your elder brother, you are just as loved as the person of Jesus Christ? You're not the wicked stepchild. You're not the one that Jesus had to go and die for. He gladly did it, and God gladly sent him for you. We have love that binds us. What a love. See what kind of love that the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. So we are. Of course, this God and Father, he's over all, he's through all, he's in all. We see the sovereignty and the authority of God and him being above all creation, all people, and all of his children. We see the providence and omnipotence of God and him upholding and working through all people, including his children. And by his omnipresence, he is in all. And by his spirit, he is in all of his children. We have one body, we have one spirit, we have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. You see, friends, we have much more that unites us and divides us. Much more. So we know that it is God's desire here in these lines for us to know that we should be one and how to maintain the unity of the faith. That if it's something that happens by default, we wouldn't have to maintain it. We wouldn't have to work at it. So there's work to be done here. But it's hard in that moment when that guy cuts you off and that road rage is right there. It's going to be really hard for me to say, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one father. I'm not going to be able to remember so many things. So Caleb, what if there was just one thing? One thing that could motivate me. One thing that could empower me in all of this. To remember to maintain the unity of the spirit. To remember that I am one. To help us be united in a divided world. Well, we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. So just a few weeks ago, we see this. Turn back there with me if you'd like. Hear now God's word. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. See, brothers and sisters, I mentioned this, that we are all sinners. We are all ones who once were far off from God. There was a dividing wall of hostility between us and our God. Romans says that the sinful mind is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot We loved our sin. I loved my sin. If I could choose between God and my sin before I came to know Christ, I chose my sin. I loved it. That's where I thought I found life. That's where I thought I found meaning and significance. I was alienated from God, doing evil deeds. Hostile in mind. Was without God, without hope in this world. All of us were there. But now you have been brought near. And how did he do it? By Christ making us one in his own body, in his own flesh. You see, here is the power of this truth. You see, here we see that Christ, 
He reconciled us by becoming one with us. He is the common denominator. Christian, what do you have in common? You have in common Christ. He is what you have in common. He is the arbiter between us and a holy and just God. If you could ever think that there was a division too far between you and a brother and sister in Christ, think of the division that was between you and God. There could have been no greater divide than was ever between you and a holy and just God. You hated him. You wanted to have nothing to do with him in your sin. We were angry. We were hostile. We were alienated. We were far off, and you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. There could have been no greater division, no greater difference in personality, no greater difference in preference, no greater difference in how you want to spend your free time, no greater difference in essence or in race, gender. We are not like him. He is holy. He is different. He is other than. He reconciled us. And how did he do it? He did it by becoming one with us. Think Think of how incredible it is that the God of universe, the one who created you, to made you to bear the image of God, became one with you. The incredible thought of 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That means the Holy Son of God had to become sin. To be one with me, to be willing to be a part of this hot mess that I am, means that God himself had to become sin. Because sin isn't just something I do, it's who I am. I don't become a sinner because I sin. No, I sin because I'm a sinner. It's my nature, it's my essence, it's my very being, it's what I love. It's the default of my life. The God of the universe, Christ himself, became one with that. So I could be hidden in him. I could be hidden in him. You saw in Ephesians 2 that we were by nature children of wrath. We became one in him. Why? So that when God's righteous wrath, when his relenting of your sin is is done, when his patience is over, God slays Jesus and saves you. Slays Jesus and saves you, thereby making peace for us, between us and God. And just as Jesus creates peace between us and our creator, so too he creates peace between you and your creator and all of creation. It's this that gives us the ability to be able to be one with one another. It's this that gives us the ability to be able to be united with each other because it's by the power of the gospel that we are motivated to see that we can be one with each other. When I come to the foot of the cross and I see what God did for me, that the blessed Trinity who has experienced perfect fellowship, perfect oneness as we've been seeing in this verse, for all of eternity at the cross was literally torn and that fellowship was broken and God the Father turned his back on the Son as he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? So he could turn his face to you, so that you may be one with him. It's when I see how loved I am in the gospel that I can be so loving to others by the power of the gospel. It's when I consider how much I have been forgiven, it becomes so much easier for me to forgive, does it not? When I see that I was so far off and how far God came to love me, to save me, 
There is no distance too great for me to go to be reconciled to a brother or sister in Christ. Is it not? See, the gospel is not only the power for you being made one with God, but also God's people. The gospel is not only the power for you being made one with God, but also God's people. Last week, Pastor Eric covered what it looks like to maintain the unity of the Spirit by growing in the fruits of the Spirit. We maintain the unity of the Spirit by growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And I completely agree. But I'm wondering if some of you might have asked yourself, it's great, how do I do that? How do I grow in the fruits of the Spirit? I completely agree. I want to grow in gentleness. I want to grow in patience. I, I, I want to be more humble and forbearing in love, but how do I do that? Any of you that are parents, you've had your kids ask you that as you're ticking off marks on the door frame. How, how do I grow more? If you're good parents, you say, eat your fruits and vegetables. That's what my parents said, which clearly I did not, because my dad is six foot two. I did not live up to the legacy of the patent family. But you tell them, eat your fruits and vegetables, get plenty of rest. Why? Because those are the nutrients. That's the needed source of power, as it were, for you to grow. And, and so too it is for us in our faith that the gospel is not only the power of God for your salvation, but also for your sanctification. The gospel is not only the power of God for your salvation, but also for your sanctification. It's not just your ability to get in the front door and have assurance as you go out the back door, but it's how you live and abide in Christ all of your life by the power of the gospel. It's the gospel that makes you grow. It's the gospel that when I come to the foot of the cross and I consider what Christ has done for me and how much he has forgiven me, I'm humbled and I grow in humility. It's by the power of the gospel when I consider all the ways that I have been hard and harsh towards others and God was so kind and so patient with me, I grow in gentleness and patience and forbearing in love and all the other fruits more and more day by day, from one degree of glory to the next, by God's grace, by the power of the gospel. You see, we grow in this relationship. We grow in sanctification in the likeness of Christ, not by trying, but just by beholding. Just ponder and sit in awe of the cross every day. Behold his glory, behold his grace, and it will change you. The old film and old cameras, they would put the film and they put it in there and as it was exposed to light the film would just begin to take on the image of whatever it was exposed to and in many ways so too is our soul the more you expose your soul to the more it will begin to bear that image so brothers so sisters expose your soul to the glory and character and nature of God you'll begin to take on that image it's by the power of the gospel that all the petty little small differences just seem to kind of melt away and they begin to feel that, like petty and small. And it is by the power of the gospel that these big, great divides in our life, we can now begin to address those two, whether they be race or gender or whatever it may be. So a couple points of application for you this morning. First and foremost, in your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it be friends or family, your spouse, people you work with, maybe someone you're in a small group with, would just ask the question, what is the bedrock 
What is the foundation of your relationship with them? I've been very convicted over the years. Many, many times the, the foundation of my relationship with, with many other brothers in Christ is, has been sports or whatever it may be, rather than Christ. Structure of a house. A house is only going to last as long as its foundation. And so ask yourself the question, what is the foundation of my relationships? Is it built on the bedrock of God's word? I'd remind you of Warren Wearsby's words. Unity built on anything other than Bible truth is standing on a very shaky foundation. Unity also, when you're thinking of the world and trying to love the world, trying to bring in the world, please remember this. Unity, as Eric said a few weeks ago, does not, is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Or think of Romans 12 too. Unity is also not conformity. The world would love for us to begin to take on its image and to begin to believe what it believes and to make our truths its truths. And we must draw the line, brothers and sisters, at the word of God. And never retreat. No surrenders when it comes to the truth of God's word. And so we can still be united. We can still try to love our friends that don't know Christ without conforming to them, without bearing their image. We can do it by bearing the image of Christ and showing through the power and love of the gospel that though you be different from me like I was from God, I love you and I can bring you in and share with them the truth and the power of the gospel. And last, I would just encourage you all to remember that you are one in one way or the other with everyone. And so whether it be the lost world, if you're a believer here this morning and you know Christ, when you relate to the world, you are not better than the world. No, in many ways you are still very similar to them. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can never look at someone's life who is lost, harassed, and helpless and feel better than them, feel higher than thou art, because there but by the grace of God go I. What do I have in common? I had the same nature. But God was gracious to me. So we can have a common denominator with them in our previous fallen nature in the world and beg that they would then have the common denominator of becoming a part of the body of Christ. How? By the power of the gospel. The body of Christ, you are one with them in so many ways. You heard it this morning, but more than anything, Christian, what do you have in common? You have in common Christ. He is your common denominator. He is your arbiter he is the one that made you one, that helped you enter into the oneness that the beauty of the Trinity has experienced for all eternity past and will for all eternity future. You have entered into that. You get to be a part of that. You have that in common. I think it was John Stott who said, the cross of Christ is a blazing fire that sets aflame our love for God. We need only get close enough to let its sparks fall on us. Draw near to the cross to see those things happen in your life. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your word and for the truth that God, Jesus, you came, you lived, and you died. But then you rose again, conquering sin and death, and that though you were always one with the Father, you willingly submitted yourself to the Father's will Gladly being divided from the Father for a moment at the cross. Why? So that we could be united in a divided world. 
that we could enter into right relationship with you. And God, we're so grateful and thankful for that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we have an opportunity to remember just that, to remember the gospel and to remember what Christ has done for us in the work of communion this morning by practicing communion. We live in an age of many distractions, and it's hard to remember. It's, it's hard to bring to mind things, whether it be cell phones or TVs or, or Netflix. One pastor even said, we live in an age where we're entertaining ourselves to death. And so it is good for us to take a moment and remember, to think deeply about what Christ has done for us. And so as you look back to the person and work of Christ, convicted of sin and confess that, but also look forward to that day, that great hope that we have in common, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is an open table, so any of you that has placed saving faith in the person and work of Christ, you are welcome to come to take and to remember Christ this morning. And for any of you that may be here, I went to church my whole life. My dad is a pastor, and I did not come to know the Lord until an older age in college. If you don't know Christ, what a better time than right now to remember as well. To cast yourself on the mercy and grace of God and to beg him to save you. Not through your begging, but by his grace. To love you, to accept you, to make you one with him.
God the 